Welcome to Don't Read Drunk, a podcast about books and booze. I'm Jenny, and I'll be your host. Hi, we're back today talking about Salvage the Bones by Jessamyn Ward. So my planning is absolutely horrible. I had a work event tonight and I've been gone most of the day working and then going to that event. Thankfully, I was able to come home in between that and let the dogs outside, give them a little break, give them a little exercise. But it is much too late for me to be awake and here I am recording. And then, of course, I've got an appointment right away kind of early in the morning that I wouldn't normally have. So that is my excellent planning for the day. The dogs are thrilled, though, that I'm still awake. They've missed me since I've been gone much longer than I usually am for the day. So they're a little crazy excited, but hopefully not too wild while I'm trying to record here. I had a great Thanksgiving, even though there wasn't much to it. But I made a huge traditional meal and I was able to share it with some people in my life that I care about. We weren't able to all eat together at the same time but I'm happy I was able to share it with them regardless. It's definitely a time to be thankful, and I've had plenty of time for recognizing my gratitude in my life. I had lunch with a good friend the other day, and we hadn't seen each other for a while, so we just had the best time talking. He and his wife just had a beautiful, healthy baby, so they have so much to be thankful for. I caught him up on the happenings in my life, and he was really heartbroken for me, and I told him that, honestly, he shouldn't feel bad at all because of how much better of a space I am in and how much I had to be thankful for. We've known each other quite a while. We talked about my kids, both my son and my bonus daughters, and we talked about how even though it was a challenge going from like a dual income household to a single income household, again, that I was making it work. And I have so much in my life to be thankful for and proud of. So I love my therapist and the therapy that I'm doing, but it's also good to have like the right people in your life to remind you of what you've accomplished and the successes that you've had. So this amazing friend of mine has been in my life for about five years now, and he's seen me grow and change a lot in that time. He helped me remember once again what an amazing person I am and the incredible things that I have done with my life and the incredible things that I'm still doing in my life. So that meeting definitely refreshed my perspective a little. As I look at my home again, I don't see all the things that need to be done, but I see all the things that I have done. Rather than the memories of the hurt and the cruelty that I've endured in my home, I am remembering the wonderful times that I've had with my son in my home and the new and wonderful memories that I'm continuing to make and that I'm continuing to make with my kid. And I think I'm a pretty positive person overall, but sometimes we can all kind of get stuck in that rut, especially since I've been dealing with a lot of resentment and anger about how... I feel kind of like an idiot for continually letting abusive men into my life, (laughs) but it was great to get that refreshed perspective. It also came just in time for the book we're talking about today. So let's get on with the show. For the booze this week, 
a book set in the southern summer heat, I absolutely needed to go with a beer on this one. I also felt like the main character's father probably drank a lot of beer that was lighter, so I went th- with this Milwaukee Brewing Outboard Cream Ale. And while I don't know how much longer it will be available, it seems like it might be continued. Uh, but Milwaukee Brewing Company was bought out by Eagle Park Brewing and Distilling Company. So since the last time I talked about a Milwaukee Brewing Company beer, it has been bought out. But as of earlier this month, Outboard was still available and still shown on both their website and on Facebook. So yeah, I've mentioned I'm not on Facebook anymore, but I still have my account to check out information for the podcast and sometimes other businesses because... Sometimes the only website a business has is Facebook, which is really annoying for someone who wants to stay off Facebook, like me. (laughs) Back to the beer, though, since that is the important part. From the Milwaukee Brewing Company website, quote, Mimicking European light lagers, the cream ale is brewed utilizing the top fermenting ale yeast, resulting in a more complex complex flavor and nose. A slight hop presence helps round out this simple but refreshing beer. It's a beautiful golden color with a bit of haze to it. The flavor is light but full of death. Depth. Not death. <laughs> I've been listening to too many of my um, true crime podcasts. <laughs> it's got an ABV of 5.0% and an IBU of 13, so very mild on the hoppiness. I do enjoy hoppiness, but this was a great beer and something that I definitely recommend for a hot summer day as it's got this clean and refreshing flavor. I would pair this one with tacos or a good cookout. When I have this beer, I'm envisioning the summer setting of the novel and having friends over with a big pot luck. This would be a great palatable beer to share with friends who have varying tastes. So, Next cookout you have, I'd recommend getting some of this cream ale for all to share. We're continuing with the trend of authors that I've heard a lot about, but I have never read. So Jessamine Ward's name has come up multiple times, but not any specific book per se. Just so much that she's a great author and that I need to read her. And the pug has a squeaky toy, so that's awesome. And you might hear a little squeaky toy action in the background. (laughs) But other than that, she's a great author, and she's been listed as an excellent author to read multiple times on lists that I've read, I know nothing about her. So this is the bio from her website. It states, Jessamine Ward received her MFA from the University of Michigan and is currently a professor of creative writing at Tulane University. She's the author of the novels Where the Line Bleeds and Salvage the Bones, which won the 2011 National Book Award, and Sing Unburied Sing, which won the 2017 National Book Award. She's also the editor of the anthology The Fire This Time and the author of the memoir Men We Reaped, which was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award. From 2008 to 2010, Ward had a Stinger Fellowship at Stanford University. She was the John and Renee Grisham Writer in Residence at the University of Mississippi for the 2010-2011 academic year. In 2016, the American Academy of Arts and Letters selected Ward for the Strauss Living Award. She lives in Mississippi. Her website is a little bland, um, but Wikipedia did have a little more information. According to Wikipedia, 
Ward chose to become a writer to honor the memory of her younger brother, who was killed by a drunk driver in October 2000, just after Ward had completed her master's degree. In 2008, just as Ward had decided to give up writing and enroll in a nursing program, Where the Line Bleeds was accepted by Douglas Siebold at Agate Publishing. Ward lives in Mississippi and has two children. Her husband, Brandon R. Miller, died in January 2020 of an acute respiratory distress syndrome at the age of 33, which is super heartbreaking. 33 is so young. Ward wrote about his death in an article for Vanity Fair. I added the link in the show notes to the article, too. So Ward is no stranger to trauma, and I honestly didn't realize how heartbreaking her life has been as well. As I've acknowledged that I've gone through a lot in my life, it helps to be aware of others suffering as well to help put things in that perspective as well. So getting into the book, sometimes I just jump into a book without even really knowing what it's about. (laughs) And this was one that I did that exact thing with. I actually didn't look up the book description until I was about halfway through the book and I was already heavily invested in the story and the characters, but was wondering a little bit where the story was going. And the description I read didn't even actually help. If you haven't heard of Salvage the Bones, it's the story of a working class family in Mississippi before Hurricane Katrina hits, what happens when it does, and the immediate aftermath. I read that Ward was unhappy with how Katrina was reported in the media and wanted to write a story that was a little more representative of how the hurricane actually impacted people. Honestly, I only got a little bit of that. At its heart, this is a story about people and family. Because of how it's written and what the story is truly about is another review podcast that will kind of be a spoiler for most of the story. So if you don't want spoilers, stop now and read the book first. If you can stand some spoilers, then please continue because this is a, a book that I could never do justice to with my review. It's definitely well worth reading regardless, but I will be sharing quite a few spoilers uh, in this episode. In regards to Hurricane Katrina, I highly recommend The Great Deluge by Douglas Brinkley. I think I've mentioned it before, but it's an incredibly heartbreaking but stunningly well-researched true account of Hurricane Katrina, how it impacted people, and the politics that made everything go wrong. Salvage the Bones is a story of the day-to-day struggles and celebrations of a Black family and the community that they are part of. The story is narrated by Esh, the only girl in a family of boys, after her mother dies in childbirth. Esh is around 14 or 15. It depends on the article you read because the novel isn't totally clear on her age nor the ages of her three brothers. So I looked online trying to figure it out. And some places say she's 14, some 15, so it really isn't totally clear, but she's right around that age. She's also a little stereotypical that she uses her body to find love and ends up having sex with many of the boys in her life. While she's never sexually abused per se, she's definitely taken advantage of for her willingness to give her body to those who don't care about her. She soon realized she's pregnant with one of the child of one of the boys she's been sleeping with. Manny has a girlfriend, though Ash doesn't care since she has feelings for him and thinks that he returns those feelings because they have sex. It's obviously the heartbreaking logic of a young teenage girl. Esha's pregnancy is juxtaposed with the pregnancy of her brother's dog. Her brother Skeeta 
has a dog, China, who is a pit bull that he fights for money. Personally, I know dog fighting is a thing, but I know little to nothing about it. This was really an interesting look inside of dog fighting. Skeeta has a love for China that I absolutely didn't expect. He treats her in such a caring and affectionate way that Ash sees. Though she doesn't necessarily want to be pregnant, there's almost a hope in her that she'll find that same love through her pregnancy once it's revealed. Ward does an amazing job humanizing Skeeta. I always thought people who fought dogs were cruel and heartless, and while I'm certain that it's true of some, if not most, Skeeta has a different perspective on it, and it's another way for him to bring income so the family can eat. The sale of the puppies that China has could have a huge financial impact on the family, and Skeeta plans to share that wealth. He truly tries to take care of her in the best way that he knows how. Skeeta seems to be one of the more intelligent and sensitive and thoughtful people in the family. He's the one that recognizes that Esh is pregnant first. He is imperfect, though, and he lets his own ego get in the way of China's healing and fights her when she's still recovering from the pregnancy. Daddy, who's never really given a name but is called Daddy, is hardworking despite being an alcoholic. He's another imperfect character, but truly seems to do the best he can for his kids despite his fault, and he's definitely got the weight of the world on his shoulders. Alcoholism is so often self-medication, a way to survive the incredibly damaging experiences that a person has gone through in life. This is a man who has gone through generational trauma, struggles to put food on the table for his children, and who's lost his wife and is trying to raise his children alone. It's really easy for people to say, pull your shit together for your children, but life is so much more complicated than that. He can tell that there's the storm coming, and so he's preparing for the hurricane by boarding up the house. The children, on the other hand, have been through enough hurricanes that they aren't concerned and they're continuing on with their lives. There's this incredible scene that Ward writes where the boys are playing basketball with their local friends. Ash and the youngest brother, Junior, have tagged along to watch. There are a few other girls, including Manny's girlfriend, who are sitting around hanging out and watching too. On the surface, everything seems so lighthearted, but the weight of life is just hanging over so many of their heads. Ash is watching Manny's girlfriend, jealous that all she has to worry about is Manny loving her, while Ash has this pregnancy looming looming over her, which she still hasn't told anyone about yet. Skeeta is worried about China and the puppies and getting as much money as he possibly can. It's not in a greedy way that he's thinking about money. This money is truly for survival. Randall, the oldest brother, is worried about getting the scholarship for basketball so that he can go to college and have a different life for himself than the life he's grown up in. While this is the first book of words that I've read, I would already call her a master at creating scenes where there is such incredible depth to them. It seems as though one thing is happening, but instead she's saying so much more in these moments. In the dogfighting scene, Ash and Junior have tagged along again as well. Skeeta has entered into a wager where his rival gets the pick of the puppies if China loses the fight. It's enthralling. At the same time, it's so horrific. By this point, I was so invested in these characters that I was rooting for China despite my anger at Skeet, allowing to get his ego in the way to fight her. Ward is describing the dog fights, and as terrible it, as it is to read as a dog lover, 
I found myself just following along so intently. And then the threat of Katrina is looming large in the background. As a reader and knowing how devastating Katrina was, it's both literal and figurative black cloud hanging over them. Another tragic yet incredibly beautiful and compelling scene is when China kills one of her puppies at the same time the accident with daddy is happening. It's such a surreal moment, as I'm sure it would have been in real life. China is reacting to the medication that Skeeta has given her and is very unaware of her surroundings. Daddy is forcing Randall to help in the dark to make sure that the house will be secure, despite Randall's insistence that the time is both not right, that he doesn't have the skill with the tractor, and that Daddy wants him to drive it. It's another moment that Ward does so well, showing that despite our best intentions, tragedy can still occur. The N-word is used prevalently, though it's used as a slang term among Black friends rather than as a derogatory term. I am a big fan of the reclamation of derogatory terms, and I was comfortable with its usage in this context. Ward's writing is just incredible and so descriptive that I was not only absorbed in the setting, but fully invested in the characters. At one point, Ash is talking about her brother's hands. Quote, his calluses are like pebbles embedded in the soft, sandy skin of his hand where daddy's whole hands are like gravel. It's so beautiful how she tells this story in just one sentence that her brother is a hard worker, but he hasn't yet worked the long, hard physical labor of her father. Ash also says, though not in reference to the same situation, that, quote, bodies tell stories. In this moment, she's looking at her brother and seeing his story, but not realizing how her own body is telling a story in that same moment. I loved this too, because in our culture, we are so often shamed for our imperfect bodies that we are constantly inundated inundated with how to be healthy, skinny, and beautiful, that we need to change everything about ourselves in order to be beautiful. Instead, if we look at ourselves in terms of our lives and the stories that we've lived, we might be a little kinder to ourselves. Esh is very observant of the life around her, perhaps even more so now that she's pregnant. She sees China, who's been nursing the puppies, and observed that, quote, her nipples look like chewed up gum. <laughs> and as a mother who nursed, I laughed at that and related to both the imagery and the feeling of what that was like. <laughs> I have to confess that I hated the ending of this book. I was so invested in this book and the characters that Ward leaving so much left up in the air after Katrina hits really made me mad. And I was just so disappointed. I wanted to know what happened to the family after their house was damaged so badly. I want to know if Ash has the support from her family and the community that she needs as a mother. And I want to know if China survives, though my heart tells me that she doesn't. I was so angry at Ward for making me care so much about these characters and not giving them the ending I felt like they deserved. And I've read plenty of books like this. I understand that life doesn't usually have a happy ending. And this is one that will stay with me for a long time. And I'll be thinking about Ash, Skeeta, and China mostly. 
This was such a beautiful novel about the resiliency of humans. And I really can't wait to read more of Ward's books. I give this a five out of five, even though I did hate the ending. I used to love endings like that, that were so heartbreaking and because I felt they were so much more dramatic, but I've changed a lot in my life and I felt like it was dramatic enough and I just wanted to see the happy ending, like I said, that I felt that they deserved. Goodreads gives it a 3.95. One reviewer said, quote, when I finished the book, I realized that the hurricane's presence in it had been so much stronger than I realized at first. Even though Katrina occupies only two chapters, it seems as if the prose breathes hurricane weather in and out in every chapter. And I totally agreed. I loved this review. And it's not just the weather, in my opinion. It's the threat the hurricane carries that also looms so large in the writing. Another reviewer said, quote, Unfortunately, I felt like I was reading an extended undergrad creative writing piece, not an award-winning author. The language is just so hard to get through. Everything is a simile. And many people actually did agree with the overuse of similes in Ward's writing. Personally, I didn't really notice. Uh, so I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. And I thought the writing was truly incredible. I didn't think it was hard to get through. In fact, I found it the opposite that I just couldn't wait to read it and keep reading it. Another reviewer brought up the, quote, depressing storylines with the dog fighting and the kids having sex. And I would agree definitely depressing. But I think some people don't realize that this is the way of life for a lot of people. And that's what really what Ward is trying to convey in this story that the people that were impacted by Katrina were not all wealthy people. And this was a truly damaging, destructive event for a lot of people. And this reviewer did acknowledge that they don't need to like the themes, so I'll give them that at least. It is a hard book to read at times due to the themes, but I found it so incredibly engrossing and beautiful. Media recommendations this week, bullshit on Netflix. So I'm not a huge fan of game shows. I enjoy watching Jeopardy with my parents when I'm visiting them, but I don't watch it by myself. <laughs> I do think in general game shows are much more fun to watch with someone else. And this one is no exception. The boy found this one and said, we should try it. It's hosted by Howie Mandel and it's pretty much just what it sounds like. You have to guess if someone is telling the truth or not, but it's really fun and lighthearted and we are really enjoying it. Also, A Million Little Things on Hulu. I just started this one, so I'm not very far along, but I am obsessed with it. It's heartbreaking, but it's one of those shows that really help give that new perspective that I was talking about earlier. It's about a group of friends, and one of them has just taken his own life. So it follows the aftermath of that choice and how everyone responds to his death. It's heavy, but James Roday, who I love, helps lighten things up. He plays that same lovable type character that he does in Psych, but he's a little more serious in Psych, but still a lot of fun to watch. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Instagram at Don't Read Drunk. You can email me at don'treaddrunk at gmail.com or check out my website at don'treaddrunk.buzzsprout.com. There is no email in the don't for any of those. This is a hobby podcast, so if you would like to support me, you can do a one-time donation through PayPal using my email, don'treaddrunk at gmail.com. 
You can also support this podcast by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don't read drunk. Thank you so much to my sponsors, Aaron Ruiz at One Up Till Sunup, who created the music. You can find Aaron and One Up Till Sunup on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Also, Avenue Coffee House. You can find them on Facebook and their website at avenue-coffeehouse.com. They also own Supernova Coffee and Donuts, downtown Milwaukee. Next episode, we'll be talking about The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. Bye, and talk to you soon.